0: Welcome to our podcast with super fans Rose and Sam and Malika,
1: too. She's undecided if she even likes it. But we watched our game and talk about it because it's fun. We probe the wormholes, yes, we do, because we have nothing better to
0: do so listen here's our
2: show hello everyone and welcome back to probing the wormhole a stargate discussion podcast i will be your host today for season two episode 13 spirits with me are my friends colleagues and super fans rose and sam so we open in the boardroom And there is a specimen box. The box is opened by Tilk. And inside, there is new metal called trinium. Carter tells us that it's 100 100 times stronger and lighter than steel. But of course, Tilk crushes it in his hands.
1: It's the impurities that make it, I guess, like cookie instead of steel. But like once you take out the impurities, it's stronger than steel. They said raw. I think they should have used a different word other than raw. That really- Raw isn't like, that's how it looks when you pull it out of the ground. I know, but when someone
0: says that's raw, I think of, wow, that's like really pure, whatever it is they're talking about. I just- word choice Like raw sugar? Yes, yeah, like raw sugar.
1: So trinium is a composite of different elements, not a new element. Is that what we're understanding? And if that's the case, why can't you make it on earth? <laughs> It sounded like
2: they just needed to refine it and get out the impurities. So maybe it
0: is a new element? Element Like titanium, kind of? Or maybe it's made partially from the aqua. I maybe mean, there's some aqua in it and that's what makes it alien.
1: Yeah, I wish they would explain the chemistry a little bit more. Sure. I mean, I know they will that's never, but... Episode needed.
0: <laughs> it needed
2: something. Maybe it would have been better. <laughs> so we find out that SG-11 are on the planet with the Trinium and they're getting more. They had missed their 48 hours check-in and Hammond wants to send SG-1 to go check on them. During this time, there is an alarm from the gate room and everybody waits for SG-11 to come in, but instead an arrow comes (laughs) through the gate and goes into O'Neill's arm. Again, O'Neill is impaled in the gate room. Maybe it's in his contract. (laughs) <laughs> that at once a season he doesn't really need to act he just gets to like lay in bed
0: but, but there's some background <laughs> information behind this episode rda's daughter was being born during this episode. Oh, really? so that's why they wrote him out of this episode and put him in bed
1: i, I didn't realize she was born that early in the series because no. i know at some point he, he he starts having less and less airtime mm-hmm. on the show and it's because he's More of becoming more of an involved dad and wasn't available as much.
0: But I think that's one of the reasons why Carter's dialogue or a lot of the stuff that she says almost sounds like it could come from RDA or um, Jack. They
1: modified it for her.
0: An argument could be made that they could have done a little more modification, but yes, (laughs) they tried to give Jack's dialogue to Carter. And then the
2: music plays and the intro starts. At this point, I was ready to call the two of you and just scream at you because I knew it was this is gonna be bad. It's just gonna be bad <laughs> all around. And I was angry from this point. I was just like, I'm ready. I'm ready to be really
1: pissed off. We did warn you that this is one of the episodes that I don't feel like ages that well.
0: It seems like whenever there's Native Americans involved, they always go to this horrible, tropey music soundtrack. It's like a collection of tropey Native American songs you can play.
1: Yeah, because first of all, it's a huge departure from their usual music. So it's obviously like they made or commissioned this like sort of Native American, what they think is some Native American themed type music it was awful and everything about this felt just like tropey and stereotyping and ridiculous the bows and arrows the like animal spirits all of it again like taking the most superficial elements of a of a really rich old culture just slapping them together in an episode and putting it on the air so
2: we come upon carter and O'Neill in the infirmary. And Daniel identifies the arrow as Native North American.
1: First of all, how can something that's alien be Native North American? Like how specific can arrows be designed that you could say that? And Native North American is like hundreds of indigenous nations. Hundreds, right?
2: So Carter says if, if this arrow was from Native Americans... They came a long way technologically in the past few hundred years. Like, what the fuck? When you are taken to a planet by the Ga'ulds, you are supposed to be in some kind of intellectual stasis for the entire time you're on that planet. Why wouldn't you create new things, come up with new technologies? That just doesn't make any sense to me. And it doesn't seem like something that Carter should be saying.
1: It doesn't make any sense at all, right? Because you would expect in hundreds of years, people would technologically advance. And it didn't seem, I mean, other than the use of the trinium, it's an arrow. It's not like artificial intelligence or something.
2: Do you think maybe this is kind of the museumification of other cultures?
1: Yeah, I mean, they do it kind of with everything. Like they rarely, they, there's there's two kinds of episodes, right? There's the kinds of episodes where everyone sort of st- stuck in whatever past they come from. And it everyone's just sort of frozen in this in this historical past and they don't get to evolve like we do, fine. But then there's the ones where they encounter the really advanced races who are assholes like the Tolan.
0: I think they've justified you know. it by saying that the Ga'uld didn't allow them to progress. But it doesn't sound like, or it doesn't seem like this particular population were visited by the Ga'uld. So they should have advanced,
1: right? Yeah, because they were protected by the, the quote, spirits, by the gill fish gill face people and but i think it's because i think native american i don't even know if native americans are tuned but like indigenous western hemisphere cultures there's a particular stereotype of them as like these sort of like wise one with the land kind of cultures that i mean traditionally the traditional stereotype is as like sort of uncivilized savages right that's basis of colonialism and then in sort of modern modern stereotypes it's like you know always the wise indian the crying indian who cries at litter on the highway right that commercial and just not treating them like people treating them like these mythical anachronistic people and communities and so this kind of feeds right into it
2: so hammond walks in and says the pentagon wants sg 11 back but really they just want the trinium They want SG-1 to negotiate a treaty. He uses the word treaty (laughs) with the First Nation tribe that's on this planet because that went over so well in the past.
1: But don't you think the whole, what they're trying to do here, not well, but they're trying is to set up the parallel of how the United States government is interacting with this group of people as a parallel to how colonizers interacted with them and it's like the whole point is to call is to set it up as a parallel to call out those mistakes i don't think that comes across well but i think that's i think they were trying to use that language intentionally to make it sound the same
0: but it makes them morons because they don't realize the (laughs) (laughs) that those words are quite loaded
1: it makes a general look like an absolute idiot using those kind of words I agree. I think it makes him look like an idiot. I mean, the US government, okay, is it, like the, especially when they are like sort of referring to these shadow forces that, you know, the bad forces, we don't know who it is. I can see the government stump, stepping their foot in it like this, like they do in real life. But Hammond's a smart guy. There's no way Hammond would be that obtuse, I don't think.
2: Because O'Neill is out of commission due to this minor <laughs> <laughs> impaling. Minor <laughs> yes carter is made the leader of the expedition and this is her first chance to be a commander i don't know why it would take this long i mean i understand because o'neill's always on the on the missions but she's the smartest cookie out of the four so so we're down on the planet sg1 is looking around sg11's campsite The commander was typing in the middle of a sentence and all their coffee had burned up and Tilt comes in and tells us that he's only found he's found two detonators and only one went off. But there's no footprints leaving the area. And that's when Daniel hears unusual breathing. I don't know. I don't think we ever really find out what that unusual breathing is. But of course, Daniel's first idea is that it must be ghosts. Is it the wolf wolf breathing? No, it sounded more like a person. Didn't it sound more like a person breathing? It doesn't really matter. It's not a ghost. (laughs) That would not be my first (laughs) go-to. I hear breathing. Is it a ghost?
1: (laughs) Do we ever find out what exactly happened to SG-11? Like, So when they come out of the mist later, that is not them. That's the spirit, the guild creature's, shape shifting as them to infiltrate whatever to or to gather information were they like like dematerialized and brought somewhere like what is this these people's power how is that scientifically possible
2: you know uh in wi- Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory there's this part where it's the tv kid and he becomes like uh dematerialized before he gets shrunk into the size to be in a tv and he's like up in the air in little tiny pieces
1: that's really want the
2: science yes it is <laughs> which actually honestly probably makes more sense than the science of this episode but there he's just like in little particles up near the ceiling so that's my i just figured that that's what happened <laughs> So I think they were just like little particles (laughs) all together in the air. Just like
1: wind. People wind. There you go. They're ghosts. They're ghosts. Maybe they're breathing hard up there.
2: So Tilk finds a totem pole. Any comments that anybody wants to say about the totem pole?
1: Daniel identifies it as Salish, Salish Indian, right? Which again, Mister Egyptologists can identify a totem pole on site, and he didn't brush up on this because it's not like they knew they were going to encounter these cultures, right? They were just—they didn't think anyone was on this planet, right? And he's like, "That's a Salish Indian totem pole," and you're like, "I was like, what the fuck?"
0: Are they originally from the United States or is that Canadian? He said Central
1: Coast Salish Indians, but both American and Canadian Pacific Northwest
2: what i read about the salish was that some of their religious practices involve guardians or helper spirits that can sometimes take on the form of an animal and one of their origin stories involves powerful shape-shifting forms so somebody did some research somebody in the writing room did a little research
1: Wait, but listen to this. Totem poles were less common in Coast Salish culture than with neighboring non-Salish Pacific Northwest coast people. It wasn't until the 20th century that the totem pole tradition was adopted by the Northern Coast Salish people, which would have been after they were moved to this planet. So, that is a research failure because if and again, I'm not I'm not expert on Salish history, so I'm relying on very cursory internet sources. There's no way that Daniel would have recognized it as a Salish totem pole. That would have been impossible.
2: But but then he wouldn't have the opportunity to spew his ideas about what the symbols on the totem pole mean.
0: And they would need some way of incorporating the symbol of the Jaffa into this community as well, because there's a lot of Jaffa heads on there.
2: He goes through the totem pole. There's a individual on the totem pole made out of what looks like a turinium, and it looks like there's an evil leaders, which were the Jaffa. The Salish people were brought there, and the Gauld were destroyed by Zales, who protected them, and Zales is represented by the raven.
1: Is Zales a real mythological figure, or did they just make it up? It
2: is, it's not spelled correctly. The spirit of Zales is often embodied in a
1: raven, but it's not specific to the Salish. The raven appears in many Native American traditions. Raven is a creator, trickster, messenger, and helper to humankind. He can shape at will. Most stories he's paired with the coyote or wolf. Who is also a trickster. I want to give the writers and the producers credit where credit is due. And it seems they did some research on this to research the raven spirit, to, to see that the raven spirit and the wolf spirit often work together it, it, mythologically, that the Salish people more recently have adopted totem poles. It just seems like the research was very shallow.
2: Well, at this point, Till hears wailing and sees a wolf and everybody is is shot with darts and passes out, <laughs> as you do as tends to happen on missions. So in the village, they wake up in a huge wooden house. Carter finds that the walls of the house are made of trinium fiber. And Daniel says that they have evolved technologically by maintaining their way of living, whatever that means. The house was amazing. If you wake up in a house like that, why on earth are you still acting like these people no less than you? Carter talks about how far they are from the mining site, and a man comes in and says, "A couple days walk." This is when we meet Rodney Grant, who is First Nation
1: and plays Tanami. So he's a member of the Omaha Nation in of Nebraska, and he is famously winded his hair from Dances with Wolves, a show that has its own problems that we won't get into. Yeah, I, I mean, we can we don't have to analyze Dances with the Wolves. Other is good in that movie. I thought he did a good job of bringing depth to that role, which is why his the character here I found like kind of surprising because it felt like a very very one dimensional character, very naive. childlike, Na- yeah, naive, childlike, um, in a way that felt kind of offensive because you know he's a grown man, sort of obviously is sort of a inner leadership role in his community and comes across as like this sort of having this childlike innocence, which I thought fed right into these stereotypes. Having seen him in Dances with Wolves and other things, I don't think that's his him his acting ability. I th- he's And so I'm wondering if that was a director's choice or if there just wasn't a whole lot of room for expanding the character given the way it was written.
0: There's not much on Reddit about how un- unaware this episode is. Like someone said, um, how would spirits be received if it was released today? someone responded good i presume are there specific things you think people would take issue with
1: that's interesting because there is so much about emancipation and how bad it is. i mean there's like i read blog posts and think pieces and all that although i have to say in reading that it's widely criticized of an episode emancipation and widely seen as as maybe the worst stargate episode. But there isn't a whole lot of racism analysis, I will say. Most of it is criticism of the writing and the the characters sort of acting in ways that don't seem true to character and the story just being really kind of stupid. There isn't a whole lot of analysis about how it's like sexist and racist. And so I think there is a reluctance to to do that kind of analysis, which is, you know, why we're here <laughs> is to yeah. fill in that, fill in that gap. So let me just um, put a disclaimer on that. I did not
0: look at the entire worldwide web for every comment (laughs) on this this episode. So if someone comments on on what I just said and said, hey,
1: someone said this, well, I guess I missed that then. And if you have some good analyses of spirits that you want to point in our direction, feel free to send those along. Send us an email and say, hey,
2: read this. And we will.
1: By the way, our emails have been very nice from our fans and we really appreciate them. To Nami said
2: the line to Tilk, the spirits say you have a demon inside you, Tilk. And there was like a smirk. I thought being an optimist and a good person sometimes that he was being sarcastic, but then it turned because I never expected him to be treated like seven or eight year old. Mm -hmm. I never expected that. And even through 10 to 15 minutes into the episode, I was still like, is he playing games with them? Why is he saying these things this way? And it wasn't until a little bit later I was like, holy shit. They have infantilized him. They don't recognize that he is even a person.
1: I mean, when you make him say things like, my, your coat is so shiny today. I mean, I get that, you know, Stargate has an element of ridiculous to it. It's good at making fun of itself. But It felt really cringe to me watching this grown man representing a native culture, an indigenous culture, acting like a child or made to say things that felt like a child would say. It just felt like it fed into every fucking stereotype. The way that they're treated by the, like, Zales' people as not being able to be trusted with this information because like they're too young reminded me of like the Knox that they're too young. Like they, the the humans on earth can be trusted with it, but not these people because they're too innocent or something like that. And Tanani kind of epitomized it.
2: I understand where you're coming from about SG-1 making fun of itself, but true comedy is not about punching down. It's about making fun of yourself and making fun of people who consider themselves above you. So this feels like a punch down when you say that they they like to make fun of themselves and stuff. If that's true, then they should be making fun of themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that they do that. I think a lot of O'Neill's dialogue is that.
1: Is making fun of himself. And that's why it's funny.
2: Tanani says that the SG, SG-11 is with the spirits, Zales and Tokaya, which would be the wolf. We walk out of the house and two little white boys with brown hair run by. Tanani says that SG-11 were making war on the mountain, trying to take their key. Key is the trinium. He says that Zales then told Tanani to shoot an arrow through the standing water, which is the eye of the gate, as a warning for them not to
1: return. So how, how long are these people supposed to have been on this planet? 400 years? Less, less than the 2,000 years of usual, but like a couple hundred years, right? A few hundred years. Why wouldn't they or somebody in their community be curious? Like SG-1 is curious. Like they're like, well, this doesn't make sense that a wolf is disappearing our people and making the key and floating it down the river. And so they investigate and either figure it out or even if they believe them to be animal spirits, because that's how they've shown themselves, trying to develop more of a relationship with them right? Instead of just sort of blindly accepting that things are.
2: Daniel tells Carter that there might be a ceremony and she might be asked to dance. And even though she might feel religious, ridiculous, she needs to just go with it. Oh, Daniel. Like what the
1: absolute fuck. Thank the Lord. They did not choose to make some kind of ceremony depicted here. Are they doing this on purpose? Is the point to make SG1 and the earth the humans from earth and the American government look as stupid and out of touch and ridiculous as possible because they are trying to set up that parallel of we don't learn from history.
2: I just, I don't feel that. If we go with with this idea, I think that it would only pertain to Hammond as the government cuz he's the one who makes these parallels. So Carter asks Tanani about the Trinium. This is where we find out that the tribe asked the spirits to ask the mountain for the key. If the mountain is in a good mood, it will drop the key in the river and the river cleans the key until it is shiny. Then they can take it out and shape it for anything that they want. So we're in the forest and Tanani is calling for Zales and Takaya. Daniel asks... Why there is no ceremonial dance. And Tanani says that his great, great grandfather used to call the spirits that way. But then Zales said, just call my name. That was a good dig at Daniel. Anytime you can put (laughs) Daniel in his place, I'm happy. The wolf comes out of the forest. Tanani calls the wolf to Kaya and compliments her. And Carter says really sarcastically, what big eyes you have, which... What an asshole move. That's something that O'Neill might say, but also he wouldn't, I don't think that he would say it to the
0: wolf. He might mumble it under his breath because it's disrespectful. I think this is some of the dialogue that was originally supposed to be spoken by RDA and they just gave it to Carter. And it, this was insulting. Carter's whole attitude, her facial expressions. She was just completely belittling this this experience. It, it was It was hard to watch.
1: Well, yeah, I think a few things are going on. One is this wasn't written for her. And Amanda Tapping is doing her best to adapt dialogue that her character wouldn't say. Can we chalk up some of her behavior to the fact that this is her first command and she's nervous or trying to put forth some kind of, I guess, demeanor of power or confidence or authority and it's coming off this way? I don't
0: think so. (laughs) I think she could be a little more respectful to another person's belief system.
1: Yeah. This actually reminds me a lot of when they're on Uh, Samaria, was it? Was it Thor's Hammer? O'Neill and and are stuck underground. And so she and Daniel are walking with Kendra and Carter is just like rude and impatient and not respectful of Kendra, which we talked about. It was really, really out of character. Um, And we chalked it up to the writing and that writer who doesn't seem to have the voices of the characters right. This episode is not written by that same writer, but it felt similar. Yeah, I guess you
0: could, you could say that she's trying, this is her first command. So she's trying to emulate Jack because she was mm-hmm. as a commander. And later on, she'll find her own command style and he'll, she'll come into it more.
1: Or O'Neill's command style really is specific to him. And, and in anyone else's mouth, it just sounds like being an asshole.
0: Tanani
2: tells Carter to ask Tokaya where SG-11 is. And Carter appears to feel stupid having to talk to a
0: wolf. If this had been Jack saying these lines and kind of rolling his eyes as well, would we have felt so, would we be so repulsed by this scene? I think we might be a little repulsed because it
2: is cringy. All this shit is cringy, but it it would fit with his character. Carter doesn't act like this
1: not appropriate and also even if she thinks it clearly not a way you're trying to get your people back right this guy and perhaps these animal spirits are in control of them you would think at the very least you'd want to play nice to do that so it, it doesn't feel in her character and it also doesn't feel like a smart move
2: a crow flies up and daniel asks if that is sales daniel talks to the crow, and after a caw, Daniel said that Zales told him that he would release SG-11. And Tilk seconds that. This is when uh, Daniel lies <laughs> to Nani and infantilizes his be- core spiritual beliefs. <laughs> and Nani says that Zales said that they he wanted to think about it and Carter agrees with Tanani, of course, in a condescending and s- sarcastic way. Like, how can this guy believe that a crow is speaking to him?
0: Is it a raven or a crow? Big blackbirds. Yep, <laughs> big blackbirds. I mean, is are we like...
1: supposed to identify a raven or a crow visually on screen? I'm not a. What, what is it? What is a bird scientist called? An ornithologist.
2: So they're roaming in the forest. Tanani says that Zales has granted Carter's request and SG-11 comes out of the forest smoke looking confused. Carter gets the opportunity to talk to SG-11's commander, Captain Connor, who doesn't remember what was happening, has no memory of uh, any time before him blasting on the mountain so it turns out that Tanani had asked them to stop blasting, but because Connor had already set two charges, Connor said to Tanani to wait after the blast and then they would talk.
1: Yeah, that was a bad call by Connor. Yeah. Let me blow up your mound first, then we'll talk. So Carter says that she wants to
2: talk to talk to Tanani about this. He says, it's up to the elders. So we go back into the same huge house and elder number one who gets no actual name, is actually played by Chief Leonard George of the, and I apologize repeatedly before I even say this, of the Slade Tooth Nation, which is one of the 200 First Nations of British Columbia. I found an article from the Globe and Mail that quotes his son speaking about his dad. Gabriel, his son, says he taught us not to look up to anyone, and not to look down on anyone. Look at them level with you. That's nice. Which makes me think that that the writers did not give him the full script.
1: Well, if you're a Indigenous actor in the 90s, your choices of roles are really slim pickings. And I imagine most of them are crap. Most of them are crappy stereotypes, right? But I think your choices of roles are just so limited that you really... If you want to be an actor, you have to just do the crap.
2: I think he's in a different, a little bit of a different situation. Chief Leonard George was a chief uh, after his father. He traveled the world. He was an avid speaker about equality and spirituality. He didn't need 400 bucks or however much SG-1 was paying for this episode,
1: I mean, it could be that he didn't see the whole script, just saw his role in it. Could be that he thought it was a good script, or he thought it wasn't an offensive way to represent his community, thought he could make it better. You know, I can see this in the 90s. I remember how low visibility was, right? Like, there were were starting to be, like, some shows that featured African-American actors and families there was a fair amount of that, I would say, in the '90s, but there was almost none for Indigenous actors, for Asian actors, pretty close to zero. And so, I can imagine just just having visibility on a show would be could be seen as like worth it.
2: Chief Leonard George was also on MacGyver.
1: <laughs> maybe he's friends with RDA too. Maybe maybe
2: he was doing this as a favor. Chief Leonard George, sorry, Elder Number One says <laughs> that Carter's methods are wasteful and violent. This is when elder number two <laughs> speaks and his name is Byron Chief Moon. He's of the Cana Nation and the Blackfoot Con- Confederacy in Alberta. He's also the founder of Coyote Arts Percussive Performance Association, which is Kappa. It's a dance and theater company and He's a member of the First Nations Two-Spirit community.
1: What's the name of the documentary? Let's plug it. Byron Chief Moon, Gray Horse Writer. So he identifies as
2: Two-Spirit? Two-Spirit. They mention it's a Pan-Indian term. It's not accepted by everyone, but the Western concept that it kind of relates is that there is a male spirit and a female spirit inside the body of a person. But it's so much deeper than just that. And Byron Chief Moon was also on
1: MacGyver. (laughs) I I guess it's good they had such good experiences on MacGyver that they wanted to come back to work with RDA again.
2: I really hope that he asked them as a favor. And they're like, you know that this script is bullshit. (laughs) Please, please, please. Carter is talking to the elders and says that the river might might not be able to supply what
1: they need. So are they trying to get enough trinium for the needs of all of Earth to, like, basically replace steel? Because that just doesn't seem feasible. I mean, you'd have to, like, dismantle the entire fucking planet.
2: I think they would be okay with that.
1: I'm sure they would be okay with that. This does not seem sustainable, even if the, the local community was okay with it.
2: Tanani is told to go back with the team through the gate and see what these new and less violent methods. Carter said that there are uh, better methods than exploding the mountain. We're in the boardroom and Tanani is watching a computer monitor with a mining machine. He says that it's still too wasteful and destructive. Daniel tells Tanani that he is going to show him his ancestors and leads them out of the room. Hammond says that what Tanani can produce is not enough for a practical application, just like you said, Rose, and that they needed to take other initiatives. NID has a plan, says that when the Salish migrate south, they'll come in, steal the key, and leave before the Salish return. And hopefully they won't even notice.
1: <laughs> Half their minds. Yes, they're, so, they're so dumb. They won't even notice. Right. Exactly. That is the implication.
2: The team all of a sudden changes course and is like, we don't like you stealing. <laughs> and, which is strange. It feels
1: very mixed message. I don't, I don't know. Says, I don't think as she went. I mean, they may be like, your gods are full your bullshit, but and we're gonna treat you like children, but we're not cool with stealing stuff from you. So
2: Connor says
1: that if they are caught mining again that maybe
2: the the tribe won't be so nice to them the next time. Hammond says that he doesn't like lying to the St- uh, Salish, but they need to they need the Tyrrhenium to fight the Ga'uld if they come back to Earth.
1: So this, to me, felt like it's very much like setting up the parallel, right? Having these treaties with um, indigenous tribes and then reneging on them, stealing stuff killing them all that jazz this feels like the unintentional parallel this is the story that we're supposed to, this is the, the moral lesson we're supposed to draw is that the, we're repeating the mistakes of history right but let's aside from that let's talk about the ethics of putting ourselves into the episode Hammond's trying to walk a fine line between wanting to do the right thing but knowing he has these sort of amoral government entities breathing down his neck demanding results and him having to sort of walk that tightrope of saying listen NAD could just shut us down and do what they want. I'm trying to give them something so that they don't do that. And if that something is stealing, so be it. It could be worse. But is he, is he right to do that? Is that a reasonable position to take?
2: So we're in Hammond's office and Connor walks in and Hammond seems irritated and angry with him for being in his office. And that's when Connor does a like a Wonder Woman type thing with his forearms and Hammond disappears in a blaze of light. <laughs> so where does he go?
1: I'm telling you, the same thing at where TV Mike went. Is there some storage place where they're like stashing all these SGC people? Or is it like, I mean, are they transporting them somewhere? Are they like storing them as energy somewhere? Is it like a transporter? On Star Trek, except there's like the pattern buffer when they're like stuck in the pattern buffer. Well I have
0: more of a problem with the arm thing. What is that? Is that
1: them knocking your forearms together?
0: Isn't that like fuck you in Italian or something? Ooh. It's on friends it's- they do that. this is fuck you. Never mind.
2: We are not referencing friends. I know, I know. <laughs> You know, I get all these emails for like fan sites and stuff like that. And it always comes up friends. And I'm like, oh, Rose would love this. And then I'm like, (laughs) oh, no, I can't buy this. I would, they they would revoke my black people card. (laughs)
1: Can't Can't do it. To be clear, I don't like necessarily think friends is like quality TV. It was just, it's a, it was a very prominent feature of my childhood, but it's, I can recognize it. Is highly problematic in many many ways, but yes, that is
2: where this comes from. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to come up with something
1: else. Wonder Woman does do it. They want she so they wonder women them away. But I don't think that's catchy. They boom boom them away. Zap. Boom, boom, <laughs> zap.
2: <laughs> but they but they don't do it twice. They they just boom
0: them away. Just one boom. Right?
1: Boom. boom. Poof. It looks like they're, trans. it looks like a zap. Like they're transporting, There, it's an instant transporter.
0: What if they accidentally do that? Like they're clapping and they accidentally <laughs> do that and it transports it's everyone that.
1: away. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. And can, they can't do it to each other, right? They can only do it to other things. That'd be kind of fucked up. You have an argument and be like, zap you.
2: I don't think that it would go off accidentally if they're clapping. They don't seem like <laughs> clappers.
1: <laughs> they don't
2: seem jovial. So Connor walks out and he tells his team, which are acting kind of invasion of the body snatchers, that SGC is planning on deceiving Tanani. And then it's time to show them the power of the spirits. So Connor walks into the lab and does his Wonder Woman arm thing to two of the workers. But before one of the workers, which is Warner, dematerializes to the ceiling, he hits the alarm and that's when we see everybody running in the hallway. But repeatedly, there's flashes of light. Thankfully, O'Neill escapes before he can he can be dematerialized by SG eleven. O'Neill goes to the control room, locks everything down, and starts yelling "Code nine, Code nine. Y- you nerds probably know what that means. Is that
1: special? No, it's maybe the alien invasion code. I don't know. <laughs>
2: Don't, don't get uh, dematerialized by a flash of light by people who are in silver latex nightgowns. So then we enter into the hallway and we find Tanani and Daniel. Tanani asks Childlike about the alarm that was going off and that there were flashes. And Daniel takes Tanani into a special place. Guess what?
1: It's a supply closet. Why can't they just, why are they treating him like a child? Why can't they just tell him that there's a problem?
2: They don't see him as equal to them. O'Neill runs into Carter and Tilk. So we go to the lab. There is a crow in the lab. Warner is there and says that Tanani came into the lab and waved his hand and made everyone disappear. Warner wants to find Tanani and says, SG-11 are meaningless which of course raises Jack's eyebrows and the team follows Warner. They draw their gun on Warner and they ask who he is. Warner admits to being one of Tanani's guardian spirits. Warner starts to bang, bang his arms. (laughs) (laughs) Warner does a wonder woman and Tilk zats him, which actually turns into um, somebody in a silver spandex dress and He has gills on his face and looks like he's dying. He says, you will be punished. And O'Neill tells Tilk, get it back to the infirmary.
1: So that actor is Alec Zahara, who plays Zales. And we met him in Chicago. Very, very nice guy. Shout out to him. He plays a lot of characters over the years, but I think this is his first one. He gave me a hug. Oh, yeah. He gave my kids free autographed pictures. Very nice.
0: He gave me nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Gave you joy by seeing his gills. Later on in the episode, when there's not much banging and and sirens going on, you can hear the mechanisms working their way on on their gills. And it's just disgusting. I don't know if they intentionally wanted that noise, but you can just hear the little flaps going. Disgusting. (laughs) So disgusting was a sucking noise which makes me think that they intentionally put in that sound because mm-hmm. because it, it corresponded each time the gill raised you could hear that sucking sound
1: yeah yeah. i can't say i'm a fan of the gill the gill face people and so they are shape-shifting aliens right they are like odo on ds9 but not gelatinous goo yes so they shape shift and they zap people away those are their two natural abilities See yeah. it's, yes, I think it seems unlikely that a species would evolutionarily develop into those two powers in the hallway. there's there's
2: soldiers running. Hammond is there with a wolf, and which seems very strange to me. Just Hammond standing in a room with a wolf on a base. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Hammond, Wonder Woman's the soldiers. The wolf then turned into Takaya, and we see her Gill face.
1: We we have uh, Zales, we have Takaya, and then there's other Gill people that we don't really identify. Right? Literally every single one of them is white. Right? Considering this is specifically an episode about a non-white culture that they obviously intended to be about a non-white culture, I found that dy- dynamic a little problematic. It just it just felt the whole thing felt very white saviory to me like we're gonna first of all hide ourselves because they can't handle us. They're too unevolved to under to handle us in our true form. So we're gonna protect them and be benevolent rulers of our you know childlike community of indigenous people. just really, really rubbed me the wrong way.
2: Maybe they're not white. They're like fish people. So they're like white belly like right? like fish belly white.
1: I mean, they're not like humans, so we can't, you know, but the actors who are playing these people are all white. And I think that was a poor choice on the part of the producers.
2: So Takaya tells the fake Hammond, Gil Hammond, destroy the base if she loses contact with him and she turns back
0: into a wolf. Hammond bows for some weird reason and then the wolf walks down the hallway and we see daniel poking his little head out
2: daniel goes back inside to the storage room where tanani is this is when daniel actually levels with him and tells them that there is a problem and that they need to find jack
0: that's not really leveling with him (laughs) it's kind of like scratching the surface of what the problem is but yeah
2: Well, he tells them all he thinks that Tanani can handle.
1: He stops actively lying to him. That's that's a start.
2: (laughs) So we're in the infirmary and Gil is still alive on the table. Daniel and Tanani come in and Tilk draws on him. Daniel and Jack are both suspicious of each other because they don't know who's part of the Gil people and who isn't. O'Neill tells Tanani that people are disappearing and that SG-11 are really aliens. Tanani doesn't seem to know what aliens are. So they decide that they're going to show Tanani Gil. And he is honestly surprised. And Carter tells him that it's probably Zales. O'Neill wants to know how they can stop the Gills. Tanani says that his spirits would not do something bad unless dun-dun-dun they were going to do something to threaten his people. And everybody looks very meek.
1: The idea is that now we're seeing the humans of Earth get what they deserve for trying to conspire to steal the Trinium.
2: So we're back in the hallway and Takaya is walking around as a wolf. Takaya does not need to do any Wonder Woman with her front paws. She just needs to (laughs) give a look to the soldiers that are incoming and they disappear.
0: Well, that's inconsistent the dog should have to do something like swish his tail knock his ears her ears I mean well,
2: she gave like a it was like a snide wolf <laughs>
0: like a side eye <laughs> so every time yeah. you get side eye someone disappears
2: all right I'm so surprised I'm still here because I get a lot of side eye and judgment from Artie <laughs> In the infirmary, there the team is huddling, trying to come up with an idea to make them, the spirits, bring back their people. During the huddle, somebody says, why don't we just tell them that we won't take the key? And O'Neill says that they had plotted against them and shot one of them, and that there's no way that the guild people will trust them. O'Neill goes to tell Tanani the truth.
1: I mean, why didn't they just do this at the beginning? You know, it's like, okay, I get you're trying to make this whole point about stealing and lying and all that historical parallel you're in a, you're against an obviously outmatched adversary you can't win against them you don't even know what they're doing they're already taking like half of your people you need to get them back why don't you just come clean
2: so daniel and tilk are in the control room they raise the shields and there is the wolf uh tokaya standing in the middle of the ramp up to the gate tilk instantly wants to fight and Daniel says, wait, let's talk to her. They go down to the gate room and Takaya turns from a wolf into her gilly self. Tilk is Wonder woman away. Takaya starts her Wonder Woman thing with Daniel. Daniel freaks out and says, stop, 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 stop. Do you want to know where Zales is? So they go down to their infirmary. O'Neill thinks that Zales is malingering. Tanani has disappeared and the gill comes in and quickly disappears Carter also. O'Neill draws on one of the gill people and Daniel yells for him to stop. They just want to help Zales. All the gills get around Zales and heal him. And Zales wonder Woman's them into the gate room.
0: These outfits are horrible. Yeah. A bit of their anatomy is going through. What well, you can't ask the, the gilly woman to flatten her breasts, but my God. <laughs> He was a big-breasted alien. <laughs> it well,
1: and it's, like, it's a little bit too similar to what the Tolans were wearing. I don't know. I feel like shiny silver is what they put on any alien that's like more advanced.
0: Yeah, that seems to be the default color. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the villagers get burlap.
1: Yeah, villagers get burlap. Advanced aliens get silver vinyl, I guess.
0: Why does this alien need mammary glands and gills?
2: <laughs> you can't feed baby gill people... With your, guilt, with your face. Maybe you can. <laughs> I'm trying to justify why <laughs> this Gilly has boobs. So we're in the gate room. Zales orders Takaya to destroy the, the base. Says that the earthling's word means nothing. Takaya says that her word would mean nothing. Because she made a promise to Daniel in exchange for saving Zales' life. O'Neill tells Takaya to shut down their gate so that no one can come through in the future. And, of course, O'Neill has to scold them for pretending to be gods. O'Neill says that if the Gills really respected the Salish, they would not pose as spirits, and that they would allow them to trust them with their actual form of ugly fish face. Takaya and Zales look at each other like O'Neill has said the most profound thing ever. Takaya says... Tanani is wise, and so is their friend, Jack. Zales brings back Tanani. Zales says that they will take any form that the Salish wants. Tanani says that they have always been kind. So whatever makes you happy. Zales does the last Wonder Woman to bring everyone back, and then they leave.
0: I would have picked a horse. I don't want to look at these gill people. <laughs> Nani. I want a horse so I can ride it. That was my only profound thought. Sorry.
1: (laughs) So what is the moral of the story?
0: Not to make this episode ever again.
1: That's a great lesson to be learned from this.
0: And yet it probably will be made again.
1: So it's like about, I mean, I think the moral is coexistence, respect for different cultures, right? You have the, the humans getting their comeuppance for trying to, lie and steal from the Salish. You have the Salish being their wise indigenous selves by accepting the Gillface people as they are when they could have not done that.
2: What what has changed this whole hour? What has changed? Where are we now?
1: I think the point of this episode was to address Native American or indigenous I don't know if discrimination is right right word, but like a sort of a address the history of Oppression towards Indigenous people on this continent. I mean, I think the U.S. and Canada has a very similar, similarly horrific history um, when it comes to how the Indigenous nations were treated. I think the the what they, what the writers and what the producers were wanting us to take away from this is like, oh yeah, they they were treated bad, and when given an opportunity to do something different, the the white people of Earth or the the governments of Earth chose to do the same thing, which was steal and lie. And that's bad and you shouldn't do it. And if you just trust everybody and everyone works together, everyone can get along. It doesn't actually deal with things very deeply, right? It's a very surface level way of sort of giving lip service to this notion of sort of, I guess, restorative justice based on the harms that were caused, but it doesn't really address anything.
2: Well, okay. So my thought was in episodic television, you will have arcs for your characters each, depending on what kind of episode it is, will move the character forward. will either teach the audience more about the character or the character will grow somehow, whether they grow to become more evil or to be a better person, They something happens to the character. That's the nature of episodic television, right? So you have a problem at the beginning, you have a climax in the middle, you have a resolution at the end. This episode doesn't have either of those. Where's Tanani? Where's the Salishes? Where is the Gills? Where is their arc? What has been resolved? We're in the exact same position as we were at the very beginning. The only difference is, is that, the gills now can walk around in their silver nightgowns. So
1: you don't think that the team SG-1 and the SGC and all them learned anything?
2: No, I don't. I, I just don't, I don't see the point of this episode at all. I don't think it addresses the racism that the government, Canada and the United States have perpetrated on native people.
1: Well, and it, it also does the the thing Kind of like dances with wolves which i think is what much better than this right it actually engages stuff a little bit more but you have the issue where the the sort of indigenous culture is there to facilitate the growth of the white people tanani doesn't get to grow i mean they on the, um, the way that he grows is that he learns a truth about the gill face people and he has not an, him and his people have an opportunity to accept them the way they are okay that's a tiny bit of Growth or movement, they get to stay the same. They stay in their land with their benevolent protectors, with a little bit more harmony now that they get to see who they really are. The main point of the episode is to, is for the the, the I get I'm using the quote white because it's not all white people necessarily. It's it's sort of the collective white man or the government or the the representative of the colonizers, right? The SGC they get to grow, or I think we're supposed to think that they grow as a result of this, but it's like Tanani and his people are just there as a plot device. We don't actually engage with them or their culture at all in any kind of substantive way. They don't get to be upset. He doesn't get to be upset about the way he's being used. We don't get any kind of depth from him. And that is very frustrating.
2: But do you really think that SGC is going to grow from this? Like if you told me next week that they found another planet and it had I don't know, like um, some other kind of alien on it, but there was some some technology or some metal that they wanted that they would act any different.
0: That storyline that you described, Malika, that actually does happen to some extent in the next episode. And if SG-1 has learned anything from this episode, it's not apparent. I mean, it's probably just a coincidence that the next episode was exactly what you described. My answer to your question is no, we won't see them actively learning from this episode whatsoever.
2: At the end of every episode, we rate the episode on how many chevrons. So Rose, what is your rating?
1: And I actually thought I was going to rate this higher i don't remember disliking it as much as i disliked it when i rewatched it this time i'm going to give it a one not a zero i give emancipation a zero i just don't think this had any real redeeming qualities i hated the way tanani was portrayed i hated the way the culture was portrayed i just i i felt like it relied on so many tropes it just relied on tropes without any kind of engagement in the actual culture and without allowing people in that community to have any real story arcs in which they grow and learn and be real people. And that was very frustrating. I really didn't like the the fact that the sort of protector aliens were all white actors. I didn't like the look of them. I didn't like the gills. I didn't like the, the clothes. Didn't think that the way SG-1 acted on the planet was particularly helpful. So just all around very disappointing, very not enjoyable slightly offensive episode
0: sam oh yeah i kind of remembered not really liking it but not having a huge problem with this episode but when i saw it again i was horrified then bored (laughs) and the boredom just sailed through until the end oh yeah horrified disgusted by the gills and then bored Like that last bit when they were bumping arms, God, I was just ready for the episode to be over with. It's not the worst thing I've seen. So I can't give it a zero. I will also give it a one.
2: I agree. I am not going to give it a zero. I want to give it a zero. But it did introduce me to Chief Leonard George and Byron Chief Moon. Because this episode is so awful, it made me even more appreciate shows like reservation dogs and smoke signals. So I'm not going to give this a zero. I'm going to give it a one. So we always ask what you would change if you could redo this
1: episode. Does anybody have any ideas what they would change? I don't necessarily think you had to just scrap this episode I mean if you're going to write an episode about a particular culture especially a a non-white culture that has been specifically oppressed by the dominant culture and try to draw a parallel between the history of oppression you need to start with having people from that culture lead the way in how that episode is written directed produced I would just scrap the whole thing
2: (laughs) I just I, I don't think this can be fixed even if you took out the plot holes took out the horrible dep- depictions of native peoples you still have garbage episode cuz like i said there's there's no growth for the team there's no growth for the characters just that we're, we are introduced to in this episode this is there's no point to this just scrap the whole thing
1: no it's interesting and Sam, I mean, there are a few episodes later that Sam knows about that deal with the UNIS. I think that actually does a better job of telling the story that the writers seem to have wanted to have told about reckoning with treatment of indigenous cultures. Those those episodes do a lot better job of it. And so I think it is, you know, partly because it's alien culture, not an actual human culture, but it could be done. OK, so
2: thank you for spending this hour with us. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I hated this episode. <laughs> Next time, we're watching season two, episode 14 Touchstone. It can only get better. See mm. you later.
0: Bye. Bye.
1: They boom, boom them away. Zap. Boom boom. Zap. zap. <laughs> do I got to go do boom, boom, boom?
0: please like us. Oh, and follow us on Instagram at Probing the Wormhole or Twitter at Probing the Wormhole or Facebook at Probing the Wormhole. You can also get in touch with us at our website, probingthewormhole.com.